our gospel lesson is from Matthew 15, chapter, verses 21 through 28. Hear now our words to you. Jesus left and went to the territory near the cities of Tyre and Sidon. And suddenly a Canaanite woman came uh, from there, came out shouting, Lord and Son of David, have pity on me. My daughter is full of demons. Jesus did not say a word, but the woman kept following along and shouting, so his disciples came up and asked him to send her away. Jesus said, I was sent only to the people of Israel. They are like a flock of lost sheep. The woman came closer, then she knelt down and begged, Please help me, Lord. Jesus replied, Is it right to take food away from children and feed it to the dogs? Lord, that's true, the woman said, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from their owner's table. Jesus answered, Dear woman, you really do have a lot of faith, and you will be given what you want. And at that moment, her daughter was healed. The word of the Lord. Thank you. If you like strange and off-putting texts from Scripture, this is not be one of them. We often have this perception that Jesus is always all about making nice with people. And if Jesus doesn't seem to be nice, well, gosh, that kind of bothers us, doesn't it? Jesus, in this particular passage, starts out Wow, I think we lost that. <laughs> Jesus starts out seeming to be completely uncompassionate. We think of Jesus as always being gentle, Jesus, meek, and mild. And here, well, doesn't sound like any of the other stories about Jesus that I know, does it to you? I mean, first he ignores her, and then he calls her a dog. Now, I don't know about you, but I learned a long time ago, you don't call a a dog unless you want to get your face fucked. <laughs> However, before we dismiss this story as just a mistake, Somehow, Matthew day, let's examine a little more closely. Jesus has been conducting a Galilean ministry up in the north, and he's been around that legion of what? He's mostly making a name for himself because in the opening lines of this 15th chapter of Matthew, we're told that scribes and Pharisees have come all the way from Jerusalem to, well, confront Jesus. Because what he's doing doesn't seem to be to be adhering enough to the law. It's after these encounters that Jesus moves from the Jewish territory into the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us precisely why Jesus decided to go into the Gentile district. Maybe it is in keeping with his mission to go wherever there are Jewish folk and there are some who move across the borders so he's going to them. Perhaps Jesus is making a conscious effort to expand his ministry, to reach out to Gentiles. Some of these have suggested that maybe Jesus is going across the border so he can get away from his crowds and Pharisees because they won't follow him. Truth is, we don't know exactly why Jesus chooses to do this. 
But what we do know is we have this strange little story that features a woman, a Canaan woman, who persists in asking Jesus for help. We've noted before that Matthew is oftentimes called the most Jewish of the four Gospels. Matthew, in his remembered stories of Jesus, is always very interested in helping his fellow Jews understand who Jesus is and how Jesus fulfills all the law and the prophets. So Matthew is also a gospel where Jesus' ministry is most often concerned, as Jesus puts it himself, with the lost chief of Israel. He says it in his text. The Canaanite woman is not a part of that household. We're out in Gentile country, remember. More than that, Canaanites are the ancient enemies of Israel. It's Canaanites who occupy the land when they come back from Egypt. It is Canaanites, or at least their forebears, who occupy the land when Abraham and Sarah first get there. If you want a modern analogy, Canaanites were Palestinians. Wow. Do you understand why the disciples want to get rid of this woman? And to top it all off, here we have a near woman. Remember the culture. A near woman who dares to speak to a religious rabbi. Just wasn't done. And so the disciples want to get rid of her. In fact, in many ways, the disciples are behaving kind of like our secret service. They're surrounding Jesus, they're pushing him along, they're blocking other people from getting close to him because they think that's part of their job. And yet she seems determined she's going to intrude. She will not take no for an answer. And at first, Jesus just seems to brush her off. And then he has this little slogan about. The children and food to dogs. Dogs, of course, is a favorite majority to put back on Gentiles for Jews. And then she has the temerity to engage Jesus in a debate and says, but even the dogs get eat crumbs to fall on the floor. That's all I'm asking. Now, I just told you Matthew is Jewish, most Jewish of all the Gospels. He's very concerned with making sure his fellow Jews understand who Jesus is. But Matthew has a sub-theme that also runs through the gospel. And the sub-theme is that every so often, Gentile folks show up. You remember the beginning of Matthew's gospel? A group of, we don't know how many, we think it's three, but it could have been 23. <laughs> folks who are astrologers. Sometimes we call them kings. More properly, they're magi. And they're suddenly Gentiles. And they show up at the birth of Jesus. And then at key points throughout the rest of the gospel, these Gentiles keep showing up. And every time they do, Jesus ministers to them and is often surprised at the level of their faith. 
This pushy Canaanite woman is surely, though, the most intrusive. Jesus attempts to get rid of her, informing her that she doesn't understand that his mission is to the Jewish people, but she demands help. She will not take no for an answer. And then there is this banter back and forth about dogs and crumbs from the table. And Jesus is, at least seems to be, utterly amazed at how persistent she is. Here she dares to argue theology with the rabbi. You just don't do that. And Jesus says, great is your faith. Which is all the more remarkable because he's just got through telling the disciples that they don't understand anything and they don't have much faith. You get the contrast? Jewish disciples, they don't seem to have much faith, most of them are men. A Gentile woman who ought to know anything and who is commended for her faith. Great is your faith. <coughs> Sometimes we in the modern church don't understand this woman's pushiness forces us, as it forced the readers of Matthew's Gospel in the beginning, as indeed it forced the disciples to understand that God's grace in Jesus will not be limited by human boundaries. Draw a boundary. Build a wall, and God will tear it down. That's part of the gospel, too. Jesus will not be limited by our definition of insiders and outsiders. He pushes beyond those human understandings, and then he bids us to do the same. This woman really seems to get to Jesus. How do you go from Jesus ignoring her? and calling her a dog, to great is your faith. Something happened here. Something rather significant had to happen here. Could it be that Jesus is ignoring her at first and that his ignoring her has more to do with the disciples than it has to do with Jesus? Could it be that Jesus is waiting to see how his followers are going to react before he responds? The disciples have seen Jesus befriend Gentiles before. Why would they be surprised that he befriend one now? Could it be that this is the disciples' prejudice and not Jesus? And then when Jesus does speak and calls for a dog, well, you know, that's not exactly what he does, is it? He uses a sort of an analogy. Now, it's not flattering, and clearly she's put in the position of, of being the one who's the dog, but it's a contrast between children at the table and, and dogs. Maybe not quite as much as being sold, if you think of it that way. What I found interesting this week as I was researching this parable is that a lot of the older commentaries remind us of something that we seem to have forgotten. In Greek, there are two words for God. The first one 
It is the one that is the absolute majority. It's the word for the straying, the mongrel, those sometimes vicious creatures that wander in the streets and byways of Palestine. The other is a diminutive. It's the word that's used for a household pet. It's what you call a puppy. And who doesn't like puppies, right? And that's the word Matthew says Jesus uses here. It's one thing to call somebody a dirty cur. That's like questioning their parentage. It's another thing to say, well, you're like a puppy. Many of you know that Karen and I don't have a dog anymore, we have a cat. And our cat is named after Lucy and the Lion of Witch in the Wardrobe. Lucy the Magnificent. And our children say, we let that cat get away with stuff we've never let them get away with. But that's the way it is with pets, right? You understand the connecting? There's this banter that takes forth, that takes place between Jesus and the woman. Jesus makes the analogy of puppies and children, and the Canaanite woman who's not supposed to know a thing about how to speak or or a theology that plays on words says, you're right, Lord, but even puppies can eat crumbs. And it's almost like getting set match as when the of Jesus goes to the woman. The story is told almost as if she gets the better of Jesus. Or would it be truer to say that Jesus has been waiting for just this display of faith. Dear woman, you really do have a lot of faith. Your desires are laying out. Is it her great faith that Jesus can heal the daughter? Or is the greatness of her faith found in that she knows that this one will have compassion? Which is it? Pushy Canaanite woman, desperate in her need, a beloved daughter that needs help, and so she'll do anything, including nagging and pushing and bantering with Rabbi. I don't know about you, but I know as a pastor there have been times in my life when I have marveled at some of the outsiders beyond the church who sometimes seem to display a greater depth of caring and understanding about what Jesus would have of us and sometimes we insiders do. It's a little embarrassing sometimes. A couple of Sundays ago you heard Jesus demonstrate his abundance of compassion in the feeding of the 5,000. They were insiders. They were Jewish folk. And now you have this abundance of compassion to the Lord. Here we see a story about this Jesus that pushes outside what they all thought was a boundary, over the border, and then it becomes a parable about the way we in the church react to the good news of Jesus as if we want to hoard it and not share it. See, we Christians like to think Jesus is our friend. We go to church on August Sunday when it's been raining, it'd be easy to stay in bed this morning. 
and we're here because we want Jesus to be our friend. But we're also sure we want Jesus to be our folks for us. I've noted that, in fact, I've never served a congregation that didn't say, wow, we are a friendly church. Every congregation says that, don't you know? And what they mean is, is that in the congregation, if you're an insider, people like each other. And they're friendly with each other. That's what we really mean when we say we're a friendly church. But the very quality that makes us friendly sometimes makes the outside feel like we don't care at all. Because we don't know how to exhibit that level of compassion. Let me tell you a story and ask if it sounds like any place you know. A church decided that they wanted to grow, so they put out the hire a growth consultant. And this person came in, and the first exercise was he took the members of the committee and he said, We're going to all go out into the parking lot and we're going to look at this building from the outside. So out of the parking lot they went, and he says, Now imagine that it's a Sunday morning and this is the first time you've ever been here. How do you get to worship? And they looked around and they said, gosh, there's not even signs. How would you know which door to go in? We know to go in the second door on the left. How would anybody else know? And they were amazed and they were disarmed that they were beginning to see their church not as insiders but as outsiders. They discovered there's no way to even figure out where the church office is unless someone tells you. They couldn't find bathrooms. And after that, some of the church members still weren't convinced. Because one said, you know, personally, I don't care for a bunch of tasteful signs stuck up all over the place. I think it distracts from the beauty of the building. You see? Sometimes we're so busy preserving what we think is important here that we forget that our ministry is supposed to be reaching out to those out there. So this parable, this story of the healing of the woman's child that came to my woman becomes a kind of a parable for us. Now I gotta tell you, this is an aside. There's a committee that's working right now to remove some of those same barriers in CHPC. Because that story is not about us. But it is about us. It always is. What other kinds of boundaries are we creating? So often, we don't even know we've created them. I sometimes hear otherwise good care Christians who will say things like, well, we want to be open and inviting to all, but you know, those people wouldn't be comfortable. I don't know who those people are, but God forbid, sometimes I thought the same thing. Or maybe a bunch of folks standing around and says, someone says something disparaging about a particular group of folk in the community, and everybody laughs. And then you notice there's a Hispanic worker standing nearby who heard you. You think it's going to church? Well, no minister tells this story. 
He said it was a summer Sunday and we were all prepared for our normal worship. In that particular congregation, announcements happened at the beginning, something like we do upstairs. And just as I was finishing the announcements, I noticed that this man, who we could smell before we saw him, insisted on coming down, and he wouldn't let the usher see in the back. He came all the way down and sat down in the front pew. And when I said, are there any more announcements, he jumped to his feet. And he said, the Lord's good people. I've made mistakes. Yes, I have. Took to drink. Lost everything. But the Lord loves you. If he can love me, and he does, he loves you too. And then this guy says, what he said after that was, call my heart and follow. But he went on for almost 30 minutes. We had to change the whole worship Yet looking back, I wonder, was that not a better message than the one I gave? Or would it give? You see, maybe what we really need is some intrusion into our otherwise easy, civilized, familiar kinds of worship. Maybe we need something that shakes us up like a Canaanite woman who insists that Jesus is going to help her. Because after all, you do understand, don't you? All of us are Gentiles. No, nobody here comes from a Jewish family here. That'd be wonderful if you did, but I don't think so. We're all Canaanite women. So why aren't we reaching out to our fellow Canaanites out there? Why aren't we tearing down those walls and those barriers? And quit worrying about being friendly and start worrying about being faithful. Do we understand? <clears throat> and then I would follow up with some of